Yo fam, Coach Sam with Strong Gents Coaching. This is going to be a solo episode where I answer your fitness questions. Um, if you have any questions for me, you can send them to me through Instagram um, at stronggents underscore coaching or Facebook at stronggents-menscoaching. Send me a DM at either of those. Uh, and also feel free to email your question to stronggentscoaching at gmail.com. Um, I got three questions for you in my DMs today. And um, they're they're pretty good. So we're going to get into that. But first, I just want to go over something uh, because I think it's important. Uh, if you're someone who had a bad day, right? Today's Monday. Tomorrow's Tuesday. Uh, I had a pretty bad Monday. And we're all suspect to these at time to time, right? They're going to happen. We're susceptible to these, I mean, from time to time. And uh, it's how you handle that next morning that's going to set the tone for the week. If you sulk in that misery because you had a bad Monday and you let it spill over into the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, Friday, your week's going to suck, right? And it's going to be miserable. Things are going to get harder. Um, so, for example, I am going to wake up tomorrow morning and get everything I need to do done, right? I'm just I'm not going to let this attitude prevent me from getting my responsibilities done. I don't care. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do what I got to do, and that's that. And I'm going to make my day better. I'm going to put this uh, crappy Monday to the side. And tomorrow is going to be a good day. And I hope if you had a bad Monday or you're having a bad day today, you remind yourself that you can wake up tomorrow morning and make a decision to make that day better. Because not every day is the same. And every day that you wake up is a chance to make it better. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. It's not even like it was a bad day. It's just one of those frustrating days. You know, like it wasn't any challenge or anything. It's just frustrating. Like, like um, anything that could go wrong went wrong kind of day. You know, but those happen. Those That's part of life. Um, but if you're like me, like for example, before I'm recording this, I was chilling on the couch for a minute, uh, laying down for the first time today just to catch my breath and chill. And uh, I actually started to laugh because I'm like, I can't believe this crap happens. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny. And uh, so I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, get my stuff done. And if you're having a bad Monday or a bad day during the week, whenever you're listening to this, I want you to do the same thing. Wake up tomorrow morning and get what you got to do done. And put that shitty day behind you. All right. So here we go. Here's the three questions. Uh, Coach Sam, I just got a Fitbit. Um, should I be trying to hit 10,000 steps a day? I see that number everywhere. Okay. So I'm a fan of Fitbits and Apple Watches to a certain extent. I think they serve a purpose um, and they can help some people. Although I do think they're a little bit detrimental to other people. Um, it depends on the situation. But in the beginning, I think everybody... Um, could use one of these watches. Um, I've been using one for years. I love them, but I'm also, you know, a fitness health geek who like really likes tracking the stuff and and um, the new gadgets that come out. I like that stuff. Uh, but if you're someone who's just getting into fitness and you kind of want that extra motivation, uh, I think getting a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or an uh, off-brand one on Amazon is is a, is a good idea. They do some cool things and um, it gets you excited and motivated. Then then that's great. Go ahead and get one. So this person got one. And they're wondering if they should strive to hit 10,000 steps a day. And a lot of people ask me this question. And when I tell them no, um, they get shocked because they see that number everywhere. Uh, fun fact, I could be wrong, so it might not be a fact. Uh, but I believe the 10,000 steps was actually the name of a watch that a Japanese company made. And like The watch itself was translated from Japanese into 10,000 steps. Uh, because that's what that watch promoted that 10,000 steps a day would you know help you lose weight and all stuff and um, so that's just an interesting fact but uh, the reason I tell most people that like 10,000 steps is not a magic number is 
because some people don't need to do 10,000 steps to get results. Now, I'm not saying 10,000 steps is a bad goal. Um, it's certainly a great goal for some people. Uh, but for other people, 5,000 steps is a great goal or 15,000 steps is a great goal. Um, the number 10,000 is just an arbitrary number. Uh, a lot of the research has shown that, you know, uh, people walking between like 6,000 to 7,500 steps a day, I believe, uh, could be a little bit skewed on those numbers, but it's in that ballpark. Lower the risk of mortality just as much as anybody who walks 10,000 steps a day, 12,000 steps a day. So there's uh, there's a point where, you you know, you start to reach this in terms of health, like this um, this limit where it's not really giving you that much benefit anymore, but it's still a goal that you could try and hit based on your goals, right? Especially if your goal is weight loss. So a lot of people, when they get these watches for the first time, what I tell them to do is to just wear it for a week, try to pay no mind. I know they're going to look at the steps every hour. That's okay. <clears throat> but try not to have a goal in mind. And at the end of the week, see what your average number of steps was for the week. And you want to try and hit that every single day the following week. Um, because let's say your average was 3,500. Well, that means that some days you probably hit 7,000 and some days you probably hit like 1,200. So we want to start hitting an average every day for the next week to get you used to a little bit more movement because that's what the watches really help you establish. It's not the number of steps that you're doing because these watches aren't perfect. They don't track your steps. They track your movement. So when you move your arm or you bend down or you're pacing or you're cooking or you're cleaning, these things count towards the steps on that watch right? Um, because it's motion sensor. Now, some are better than others, blah, 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 blah. But your goal is to move more, not necessarily just to walk more, right? So we want to wear it for a week, find out what our average is, and then start trying to hit that average number every day on that second week. That's going to be uh, something that you you can do. That's definitely going to be doable for most people um, and motivating, right, to hit that average number. Now, if your goal is weight loss, and you wear that watch all week, and you notice that some days you're like under 2,000 steps, that is just low movement in general, okay? 3,000 is still pretty low, but 3,000 is better than 2,000, right? So if your goal is weight loss, get the average, do that number the following week every single day, and then start increasing your goal steps every week until you start climbing into that 7,000 a day, okay? Uh, but 10,000 is not a magic number, but it can be useful. So if you're trying to lose weight and you're hitting 7,000 steps average uh, per per day, per week, um, and you, your kind of results have been slowing down, well, one, we can look at your food, but also we can try and increase your daily activity, which can be tracked through that watch through the steps portion of it. So we can bump you up from the average of 7,000 to 10,000, and then we can do 10,000 to 13,000, so on and so forth. But what they do is really track your activity, um, and that's called N-E-A-T non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's a bunch of jargon for how much you move on a daily basis. It's how much energy you burn on a daily basis. It doesn't count as your metabolic rate. It doesn't count as your exercise calorie burn. It's all the little stuff you do, the pacing, the cleaning, the chores, the bending up and down, the picking things up, um, all the hand movements that you do while you're talking on the phone, going to the grocery store, and putting things in your car and walking around. That's your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, right? So the the walking that you do all day long, the, all the little chores of pacing, et cetera, et cetera. And that stuff adds up. Um, and we want that to be higher because that is a huge portion of people's calorie burn throughout the day and throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the years. Um, so if your watch is telling you, if you get a watch and you're doing like 3,000 or less, 
you know, that's that's very low output in general because because the watch isn't just tracking your steps. It's tracking all motion. If you're only like have 3,000 little motions throughout the day, that is not a lot. So can your goal be 10,000? Yes. If you're just getting started and you think that's a little daunting of a number, lower it down to 5,000. But a great start is to wear it for a week, find the average, the following week or two, try and hit that average and slowly increase from there. The watches are great. Fitbit's great. Apple Watch I have right now, uh, it's it's pretty damn good too. The Garmin's are fantastic for if you're like really into the running, the the biking, the swimming, and the exercise. The Garmin is great. Uh, but go ahead, try it out. Ten thousand steps not a golden number. It's a great number, uh, but depending where you're starting, you might have to set the bar a little bit lower and then go from there. Okay, you need somewhere where you can increase uh, activity. All right. Uh, let's see. Question number two. Here we go. Coach Sam. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here we go. Here's the question. Thank you for those kind words, actually. The beginning part was very nice. But here's the question. Um, I talked to a trainer in the past, and they said that carbohydrates uh, will make me fat, especially carbohydrates at night. Okay, uh, is this true? Can I have carbohydrates, yes or no? So uh, carbs is a, is a tricky topic, right? Um, there's this whole... Uh, insulin model of obesity where people think that when you eat carbs, well, it's not the thing. You know, when you eat carbs, uh, insulin is produced uh, throughout your body to shuttle those carbs to where they're supposed to be, whether that be uh, in the muscle tissue or or to the liver and transformed into fatty acids and stored, right? So when you eat carbs, you release insulin. People think that if you have too much insulin going on all the time, that it makes you fat, you get insulin resistance. And some of this stuff is true, but do carbs make you fat? No, they don't excess calories make you fat and a lot of people think that certain foods are carbs when they're not they're actually carbs mixed with fats so if you ask somebody like um well you know i can't have pizza because it's a carb and i can't have ice cream because it's a carb and i can't have potato chips because it's a carb and i can't have cookies because it's a carbohydrate well i'm here to tell you that you're wrong there's actually more calories in that food from fat than there is from carbohydrates. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of carbohydrates in these foods. Um, what it means is that the weight gain that comes from these foods is because of higher calories because of the pairing between carbohydrates and fat. It's not solely the carbohydrates. That being said, carbohydrates are easier to overeat than any other macronutrient, fat or protein, right? So can they make you gain weight? And gain some fat if you overeat them. Absolutely. But you can gain fat overeating anything. Carbs just happen to be tasty, like bread. Tasty. You can eat a lot of bread. Rice. You can eat a lot of rice. So do you have to be conscious of your carbohydrates while you're losing weight? Yes. Um, do you have to totally kick them out? No. Do they automatically make you gain fat? No. They don't. These are just things that you know you see on TikTok and all these Instagram influencers and stuff telling you. like They, they fear monger you into thinking that certain foods are going to be detrimental to you. And they're not, right? But there are better foods and worse foods, um, you know, for your goals and that make how they make you feel. And there's better forms of carbohydrates for your goals and how they make you feel, so on and so forth. Um, but no, carbs aren't making you fat. Carbs at night aren't making you fat either, but they are easy to overeat. Um, Bread at night is very easy to overeat. Pretzels are very easy to overeat. 
uh, at night, and those just add excess calories. So should you avoid carbohydrates at night? Maybe not with dinner, right? But maybe like late, late on, like if it's 10 o'clock and you're snacking on a bag of pretzels, that's going to be like 400 extra calories that you don't need at all. So that's something you should take into consideration is snacking in general late at night is not good. Eating food late at night, not really that good. Just because you're tired, you're not thinking, you had a long day, you're going to overeat every single time. So try not to do that. Uh, but will carbs with dinner make you fat? No, no, not as long as the calories are in check, right? Um, but the foods that are high in calorie are junk foods such as, you know, uh, potato chips because they're fried, so they have lots of fat in them along with the carbohydrate calories. Cookies, they're soaked in butters and oils along with all the sugar that's inside of them. So the butter has a ton of fat calories. The sugar adds a ton of carbohydrate calories. So the food itself is very high in calories. Things like ice cream because you have cream in there and, and whole milks, and that has a lot of fat in it, which has a lot of calories. And then you have the sugar in there, which has a lot of calories from carbohydrates. Uh, but these foods are not pizzas. Another one, cheese and the oil has a lot of calories in it from fats. And then you have the dough, which has a lot of calories in it from carbohydrates. So as you can see, carbohydrates aren't necessarily the culprit for a lot of people's weight gain. It's the pairing of carbohydrates and fat because food tastes so much better when those two are paired together. Uh, for example, eating a plain baked potato kind of sucks. Like I've never seen someone cook a baked potato and just eat that thing. Well, actually, I do that, but I'm weird. Um, normally, people dab that thing up with sour cream, butter, and cheese. So you just made that 150-calorie potato, which is purely carbohydrate, into a 500-calorie bomb inside your stomach. Um, so as you can see, it's not carbs are not the enemy. Um they are a tool in your diet to help you feel good, increase your intensity in the gym, your recovery from hard workouts, uh, sometimes to improve your mood, um, but they can be overeaten like any other thing in the world. And when they are paired with fat, such as ice cream, pizza, cookies, and chips, they are extremely easy to overeat. So my advice to you is not to obsess over carbohydrates and think that they're going to make you fat. Um, and that carbs at night are going to make you fat, um, what I urge you to do is to think about cutting the junk food out of your life and not eating late after dinner in general because it's going to just be extra calories that you don't need when you should just be sleeping. So take those into consideration. Uh, cut the junk food uh, because it's super, super high in calorie from carbohydrates and fat. And they're very palatable, meaning you can eat a ton of them in one sitting. I can eat an entire box of chocolate chip cookies by myself. It literally, I can eat 50 in a row because they taste so goddamn good. I can eat, I could eat an entire carton of ice cream sitting there like a slob in a chair, in the entire thing, crush it in 20 minutes or less because it tastes so goddamn good. It's not necessarily the carbohydrate because if you took a tablespoon of sugar, which is pure carbohydrate, I'm, I'm disgusted by that shit. I don't want to get that thing out of here. But if you were to mix that with butter, man, could, now, we're, now we're talking a little bit. It's probably going to taste a little bit better, right? So it's not carbs. It's the pairing of carbs and fats uh, that are very, very palatable. They taste good, and they're hard to stop eating. So if you can cut those out, it'd be great. Eating late at night in general is just um, a waste of time for you. It's going to be 
hard to reach your goals if you're doing that because of the excess calories. So take that in consideration. Um, okay, the third one. I talk fast. I got to slow down. Let me take a sip of water. How's your day going, guys? What are you guys up to? You know, send me an email. I want to know, all right? I want to know how we're doing. I want some feedback. I want you guys to send me your thoughts um, on what you want me to talk about. I want you to send me your thoughts on what you think I should start doing here with the Strong Gents coaching program. I want you to send me your thoughts um, on our uh, our content and our message of trying to get men physically, mentally, and socioeconomically stronger in life. That is the goal, okay? Um, I'm going to go over this last question really quick, and then I have a quote from a book that I want to share with you and, and talk about for a minute, okay? So um, last question. Here we go. Coach Sam, uh, I've been struggling with fatigue lately. Um, what would you suggest is the best bedtime routine? Okay, so first, the fatigue could be coming from a lack of sleep. And if you're, you're asking a question about a bedtime routine, it might actually be lack of sleep. But sometimes it comes down to not just your bedtime routine, but your daily routine and your your eating habits, your supplementing habits, your workout habits. Um, fatigue is a little bit of a tricky, tricky thing, but let's stick to the bedtime. Maybe I'll cover some of that other stuff. Um, I do have a bedtime routine and I think everybody should have a bedtime routine. I think, um, what I do, what's helped me, right? Just because I do, it doesn't mean it's going to be great for you, but it has helped me. So I'll share it. I turn all electronics off 30 minutes before I go to bed. Um, so I, you know, put my phone on silent. I set it across on the table, face down, um, while I'm going to sleep, all the lights are off, uh, computers off, TV's off. I don't have a TV, but, uh, the computer screen is off. So everything's off 30 minutes before. And I have a little night light in my room. That's the only thing that's on. And I try and read a chapter of a book in that 30 minutes. And that usually helps me fall asleep. Um, if I'm having trouble sleeping, which I do sometimes, I go sporadic periods throughout the year where I cannot sleep whatsoever. Uh, so every couple months, I'll have a week or two or three where you know, I, I'm having trouble falling asleep. It takes me a couple hours to fall asleep or I'm waking up in the middle of the night a couple times um, w for whatever reason. You know, I got demons just like everybody else and stress, you know, I'm not perfect, right? Um, but when I'm really having trouble, I really try and dial in on my routine. So I'll actually add some static stretching before I go to sleep. So um, instead of reading, I will stretch. So I'll shut my, all my electronics off 30 minutes before bed. And for about five minutes, I'll sit on the floor. I will stretch out. I will do a lot of leg stretches. I'll do some twisting stretches with my torso and my upper body. Um, and I will do some breathing exercises to really try and relax my body. Uh, try and do some belly breathing, breathing deep into the stomach. Um, and just trying to, in that short time, get a mental dump of what's bothering me. So I'll just kind of talk to myself. You know, we all talk to ourselves. And I just try and get it out so I can go to sleep. Um, and that seems to help as well. Um, also, taking magnesium at night. I take magnesium every night. Um, they sell it in a bunch of forms, powder forms. I take the capsule. And that helps me. Uh, immensely taking magnesium helps me immensely uh, but also experience uh, experimented with CBD gummies as well that seemed to help for a period of time um, now these things could be placebo but I actually do believe that the magnesium 
helps significantly because I have anecdotal evidence with my clients who have also taken it and seen great benefit. Uh, CBD, I'm not exactly convinced yet because I, I wasn't having too much trouble sleeping while I was taking them. I just um, I had them, so I was taking them, and it just seemed that my sleep was a little bit better. But uh, also things that um, could affect your sleeping in general is uh, the amount of caffeine you consume during the day. Caffeine uh, can really affect you if you have it later in the afternoon. It can affect you at nighttime, uh, depending on the person you are, how big you are, blah, 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 blah. Um, caffeine can stay in your system for a longer amount of time. So if you're having, a, if you had a cup of coffee at like five o'clock, uh, that thing could still be kicking until 10, 30, 11 o'clock, you know, and on. So be careful about the caffeine. Try not to drink. I try not to drink caffeine. Well, I've been caffeine free for a while now, but when I was drinking a lot of caffeine, I would still try and stop it by 3.30 p.m. Um, that way my body can have at least, you know, like seven hours of time to try and shuffle some of that caffeine out of my system. So definitely check your caffeine content throughout the day. Make sure you're not having it too late at night. Um, also, um, your food time. Uh, if you eat big meal before you go to sleep, uh, you may have trouble falling asleep. I know I do. I cannot sleep on a big meal. I can, but it's a little bit uncomfortable and I actually end up waking up uh, in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom to, to go pee for some reason, which I really, have, maybe it's because I actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably because I, I do drink a bit of water while I'm eating. So that's probably, probably why if I'm eating late at night, that means I'm drinking water late at night. So I get up to pee a little bit more. Um, so I would try, you know, eating your meal like at least three hours before you go to sleep, let your body digest it a little bit. Um, and if you have any water, you'll have time to go to the bathroom. And lastly, watch for alcohol. Alcohol affects your sleep right away. Even if you have one drink, you're, you're going to have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or you're going to wake up not feeling that great. So if you're someone who's been having a couple beers or a couple drinks or a couple glasses of wine at night, you know, an hour or two or even shorter than that before bed, I would try and cut that out or cut that down and see how you're affected by that because um, it really plays a huge impact. Now to go back to that, the watches we were talking about earlier, a lot of them track your sleep. Uh, and I had a Fitbit for a long time. I use the Apple Watch right now, but I had a Fitbit for a long time to track your sleep. And interesting enough, every single time, it, it keeps a, a sleep score, right? So 100 is the best you can get. And I used to average around 75 to like 82-ish. Um, but every time I drank alcohol, even if I had like two drinks, I wasn't even you know drunk, my sleep score would be like a 55, like every time, no matter what. So that watch didn't know I drank alcohol. So something was going on in my sleep that told that watch that I'm not sleeping that good. And I'll tell you what, you know, I feel it the next morning. So uh, if you're someone who has a couple drinks at night and you notice you're not sleeping that good, you're waking up feeling like crap, I would cut it out or cut it down. All right, so um, I'm going to open up this book really quick here and uh, read this short uh, summary for you guys because it's pretty interesting. And I think I, th I think uh, a lot of wisdom um, is lost in books, right? And we, and we don't read a lot anymore. So if we, I read a lot uh, because I'm just, I'm obsessed with like information. Um, and I really like old books written by psychiatrists and psychologists or um, teachers because they put their experience working with so many other people in these books. And you can learn some great things from, from these books, right? So let me just find this real quick. There'll be a quick pause while I look for this, okay? Okay, here we go. So I'm going to read this out, and then, you know, I want you to think about it. 
because I, I've thought about it, and, and uh, we'll have a good discussion, okay? So here we go. For some people, self-esteem depends on seeing themselves as powerful. When life inevitably exposes their inadequacies or ordinariness, they experience distress that seems unbearable. To learn to use power well or to profit from it when it is ours, we must give up trying to control others and instead enjoy the freedom power affords by responsibly taking charge of ourselves. I want you to go back and listen to that a couple times because that's one of the most powerful paragraphs that I've ever read. And what I take from this, and I'm interested to see what you guys take as well, but what I take from this is that if if you're someone who relies on power, the feeling of power to produce happiness in your life, to improve your self-esteem, you're on the wrong side of the tracks here, okay? Um, you're going to experience a lot of pain when life shows you that you are actually not that powerful. Your mask is going to get ripped off. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel insecure. So I don't think it's a great idea to believe that you are super powerful and you can control others or control outcomes. Um, instead, I think it's a better idea to use power appropriately when you have it to benefit yourself and the people around you instead of trying to force things to happen you use your power to help things grow on their own and we do that <clears throat> by taking charge of yourself if you have power one of the greatest things that you if you've come across power right like let's say like for example in society money is power right um, what i've been trying to tell myself is that when i come across a decent amount of money if i've saved up some money what I'm going to do with that money is I'm going to invest it some way that's going to benefit me in my future instead of always splurging on something right now. Because I have the power to do that, splurge on it right now, but I want to benefit my future self and make better decisions. I want to be responsible um, for the power that I have right now instead of being irresponsible. And that, that's an economic um, you know, analogy there, you know, analogy about money, but, um, even in regards to health, right? Um, if you're someone who's unhealthy and, but you have power over others, right? And you take your anger and stress out on them at work, whatever, because you're unhealthy and you're, you're out of shape and all that stuff. Um, what if you were to get healthy and you took, you took charge of your life, you got healthy and you being healthy now gives you the power to help the people around you get healthier and make them feel better. Isn't that a better use of your power than if you had power over somebody you're unhealthy and because you feel like crap, you're going to treat them like crap? So I think it's, it is really important to look inside your life, see where you have power, see where you lack power, and start to address how you use that power. Now, I have, because I've read this book recently, I've really been trying to do that in my personal training business uh, because when people come to me, I technically have some sort of power over them in regards to the advice I give them and the motivation I give them and the mindset I give them when they leave. And so I've been trying to do a better job at creating a positive, um, oh, as best I can, creating a positive outcome for people, which my goal has always been, but sometimes you don't know that you're negatively impacting someone, right? 
sometimes when I give people nutrition advice, I tell them to take things out and it's not their decision, right? So they feel spiteful towards it. So I'm trying to, I've been trying to, with difficult clients, learn how to use that power of my knowledge and my experience and my expertise in such a way where it will transfer better to them so they get better results instead of them being, you know, spiteful towards the information or stubborn towards the information. So um, I just think that's a super, super interesting topic. It's something that not a lot of people talk about or think about. And what I'm going to do is read it one more time for you. And then I'm going to hang up this solo episode because we're right about 30 minutes in and I'm going to let you go about your week. All right. So here we go again. For some people, self-esteem depends on seeing themselves as powerful. When life inevitably exposes their inadequacies or ordinariness, they experience distress that seems unbearable. To learn to use power well or to profit from it when it is ours, we must give up trying to control others and instead enjoy the freedom power affords by responsibly taking charge of ourselves. Take charge of your life. Get some freedom and use your power wisely. Coach Sam is out. If you have any questions, email us at stronggenscoaching at gmail.com. Follow us on the social medias. The links are in the podcast episode. Enjoy the week, gents. Peace.